0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Will Wood's Faith in Marriage. This is Dr. Mario Sakasa, and I'm truly grateful to have you joining me for another amazing episode. Well, in today's show, I welcome Dr. Peter Malinowski, and we have a wonderful conversation about shame. If you can have a wonderful conversation about shame, I think we accomplished it. So we get into the ins and outs of what shame is. What are the various elements that shame encompasses? Why is it so destructive in in our social relationships? How does it impact our relationship with God? Why would God even allow us to experience shame? We cover all of that, as well as kind of get into some practicalities of how to overcome it if you do struggle with shame in your life. So you're going to love this show. And of course, you can't have a conversation about shame 2021 without talking about Dr. Bernie Brown. So we reference her work throughout the conversation and talk about what's good about her work and and where it's lacking from a a Christian anthropological perspective. But it's wonderful. It's a great conversation. If you do struggle with shame, you're going to enjoy it. So please stay tuned and share with your friends if you do find it helpful. So... Let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Peter Malinowski. Dr. Peter Malinowski, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today?
1: i'm doing great it is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you mario
0: oh it's a it's a great gift how how are things in indianapolis going right now <laughs> <laughs>
1: well we're starting to warm up springtime things starting to wake <laughs> up uh not quite springtime yeah. we're actually beautiful today actually we're we're actually thinking we got to have to tap our maple syrup or do our tap-in for maple syrup here pretty soon. So it's kind of now,
0: exciting. Now, being from southern Louisiana, I'm, I'm assuming springtime and winter times have different temperatures <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> equations for for Yeah, you. like so we... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like right now it's probably 50 degrees and sunny out. So uh-huh. it feels really, really great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I can roll with that. Yeah. That, that's fantastic. So I, I know we're, we're recording this uh, the day after the feast day of St. Sebastian. So I, I know Indianapolis Colts fans are lamenting, I guess a little bit of, uh, um, you know, the retirement, the sudden retirement of Philip Rivers, our, our Catholic quarterback right. in, in the NFL, but, uh, but breast, you know, God bless him. He, I know he's going to be a football coach, but how, what, what, what's the, what's the word on the street in Indianapolis?
1: Well, you know what? I'm a Packer fan. I grew oh. up 45 minutes away from Lambeau Field, so you know the season's going on for me. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So
0: for, for, forget the, forget the Colts. Yeah, the Packers are crushing it right now. Yeah, yeah Aaron Rodgers you know, got. Actually,
1: you know what? That was the Colts. Like, that was the thing. Like, when I, when they moved from Baltimore, mm-hmm. that, like, that really rocked my little world view of, like, football teams and where they were. So was, that was, like, because that was the first time I'd ever heard of a football team moving. Yeah. You know? So it was like, huh. I had this little poster, you know, on my wall, that had all the divisions, you know, all the all the helmets, you know, laid uh-huh. up there, and uh-huh. it's like no, it's isn't accurate anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah so I remember
1: uh, that really vividly the move. Yeah,
0: that's funny. Uh, Peyton Manning has a show on ESPN Plus, and he had um, David Letterman on it, and Dave Letterman's from Indianapolis, t- talked right. a lot about that experience. It felt like he like like he struggled to root for the team early on because he felt like they stole the team from Baltimore. Stole the team. You know, yeah. and so so even when they were first there for a while, it's like he still referred to him as like the Baltimore Colts. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Johnny Unitas never accepted it and all of yeah. that. Yes. I'm old yeah. enough to remember all that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's
0: great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, the podcast isn't about uh, Baltimore football or, or Indianapolis football. So we'll, we'll we'll get back to the topic at hand here. So, you know, I thought for today, I'm, obviously, there's a lot of things we could talk about. I know of similar minds with regards to kind of a Catholic integrated approach to to psychotherapy and, and the psychological sciences. I'm a, I'm a counselor. I know you're a psychologist in Indianapolis. Right. But um, but I thought for today, you know, it'd be great to to have a conversation on on the topic of shame. Um, it's something I know that you've you've done work on in in uh, in your podcast on the Souls and Hearts website. But I know mm-hmm. it's something that for me I can speak like I first encountered the, the topic really through the work of Brene Brown, and I uh-huh. discovered her her book uh, Daring Greatly probably soon after it came out, and uh, that it just rocked my world. I I, I thought. Yeah. It was, what, a, what a fantastic topic to to discuss. And if the listener, if you haven't checked out Brene Brown's work, you know, I would say listen to her TED Talk, you know, after this podcast, maybe, you know, we'd love for you to get through this, <laughs> this conversation, enjoy the chat with us. But, but maybe right after it's done, go ahead and listen to Brene Brown's work and, uh, and uh, we can kind of get rolling into this. So, so you know, just kind of easing into this. How would you define shame? Um, what do you? What, yeah, just let's just start there. How do you define shame? Well, let's, start, we'll let's
1: start with Bernays. Let's start with Dr. Brown. Let's start with Bernays' definition. She says, I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed hmm. and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And that's one of the better definitions that's out there, but it's actually really incomplete. If you start looking at like the trauma literature and you start pulling in the different elements from the different uh, for the different uh, writers, the different clinicians, the, the different theorists, you actually find that there are five major dimensions to shame. Well, give it to me. Five. All right. So the first is that shame is a primary emotion. It's not just an emotion, but it's a primary emotion. And there's a distinction there. Okay. Second, it's a bodily reaction. And that's not something that's, that enters into Brene's, um, uh, definition. Mm-hmm. It's also a signal. It's also a judgment and it's also an action, mm-hmm. an action independent of the judgment. So those five things, and you actually, in order to get a more complete understanding of shame, you actually have to appreciate those five dimensions.
0: Okay. Well, why don't we, why don't we just tease those out for a little bit? You know, the first one you said is that it's a primary emotion. Now I'm thinking, in my mind, I go back onto my uh, Sue Johnson um, attachment theory lens and kind of thinking about the differences between primary and then secondary emotions, where right. a secondary emotion would be kind of at the surface um, and the primary emotion is the one that, that's that's really kind of undergirding. So an example Undergird. I give often in, in, in my experience, I just gave a talk this past weekend to, to a group of married couples on communication and, I, and I'd made these distinctions. And for me, for a long time, I used to get so angry with my kids about- Just how they would leave the cup out, you know, like you'd walk through the house and the one, the one darn water cup (laughs) is sitting there on the coffee table. And it wasn't me. I mean, I've been at work all day, so I know that ain't my mess, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta now, now I have to clean it up. And then so that the anger would be like the surface level emotion in my experience. But the primary emotion is, as I've done my work is it, I, it would be connected to shame in the sense that I would feel like it's one more thing that was put on me. It's one more thing right. that I have to do. Ergo one more thing that I am failing and not capable of attending to right now. And so, so I'm going to make, I'm going to make a little distinction. Please go ahead and offer that up. I'm going
1: to, I'm going to, am going to switch this up a little bit. Cause this is a, the way that, that the, um, that the, uh, uh, that, the, that the theorists that are kind of girding this is a little different, right? Sure. So our primary emotion here are those that we feel first, mm-hmm. as a first response to a situation. They're the unthinking, instinctive, automatic responses, Right, okay. So it's not something that's going to be processed by the intellect. It's not something that's going to be sort of captured by the will at all. It's sort of it's there first. Right. So you see a bear in the campsite. Mm, bear, big teeth, fear. Right. right. Primary emotion. Right. And so it's really one of those basic. Some people would say primitive emotions. Right. So shame is a is an emotional response to a real or perceived abandonment or rejection. Mm-hmm. Right. And, it, and it's all bound up in the potential loss of relationship. That's what that emotion is about. Yeah. So we, we want to, and so we want to remember, we remember that and that's one that most people get, right? That's obviously in Brene Brown's definition, right? That's one that's a little more obvious then there's the bodily reaction, right? That's the second one. And that's where we, um, that's where we get into the physiology of shame, Mm -hmm. the neurobiology of shame. And you know, that actually, um, that actually can take us in kind of two different directions. Okay. One, it can take us down in hypoarousal, right, where we get into the freeze response, right, and we disengage. We want to disappear. We start to numb out. We might dissociate. We lower our head, you know, things like that. Um, or we can go up into the fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. That's the hyperarousal, and that's where we um, our cortisol levels go up, our ACTH levels rise. We've got a stress response. We're starting to uh, get into that. Uh, uh, heart racing, breathing quickening, pupils dilating, blood rushing to our arms and legs—all that stuff starting to go on. Uh, and so, there's a huge body aspect to shame that a lot of times people don't fully appreciate.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. you know, as as you're talking, I guess what I'm what I'm feeling or thinking is is um, when you, you, you use the example of the bear, you know. The bear right. chasing us, like if we're walking in the woods and we hear something and the bear chasing us that that anxiety response is meant to be a short term kind of reaction, like it's supposed right. to and and that's but that's a that's a threat to our uh, physical livelihood. But when you talked right. about shame in the first definition and even using bernie bound's language to some degree is is that it's it's a similar level like response that happens inside of us but but it's not a physical threat. it's a social one. is that?
1: I would it, say it's an existential threat, it, right? Because existential we, is that we said existential threat? Yeah, existential, right? Give because if you. we, we know at a primitive level that when we're really small, for example, that we absolutely depend on others being social beings, right? Being, um, being dependent on relationships that if we get disconnected, if we get shunned, if we get rejected by the people that are important to us, uh, we'll die, right? Mm-hmm. There's this real fear that that is not only a a social threat, but it's actually an existential threat. And, um, you know, if you start getting into the places of like getting activated around I'm unlovable, right, which is sort of Mm -hmm. uh, one of these aspects of shame, that's really, really powerful. There's a lot of energy that gets sucked up into that in one way or another.
0: Mm. That's amazing, so, which is why it didn't activate yeah, so, our so much. Get, our bodies
1: get all, all like bound up in that. And that's one of the more underappreciated aspects of shame. It's really come to light more in, the, in recent years.
0: This notion that it is connected to these bodily responses or, or what? Which right. It? right that it's mediated by the body.
1: And that gets us to that third element, which is what's the function of shame? Right. Shame actually has a function. Um, Brene Brown, one of the things that I'm, that, that, that I disagree with her about is that she sort of rejects shame uh, altogether, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's a bad thing. Right. Um, And, you know, if you look at other theorists, uh, they talk about the upside of shame, right? Now, some of these are evolutionary theorists, Mm -hmm. right? That are about how shame allows you to know when you're engaging in some behavior that would get you excluded from the herd, you know, and because of social animals, we're social animals and all of that, that's important for survival and blah, 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 blah. It's all that mm-hmm. evolutionary theory stuff coming in. But it does allow us to understand when we might be doing something that would lead our caregivers, our parents, to disengage, right? And because we desperately need, when we're little, you know, we desperately need our parents to be engaged, that that shame serves as a warning to... um to begin to inhibit mm-hmm. whatever we're doing so that we have a better chance of keeping our lifeline to our parents intact, right? So um, so there are uh, ways that shame helps us to learn the boundaries of socially acceptable behavior so that we can stay part of our group. You know, and by 12 to 18 months of age, if you look at developmental psychology, toddlers are beginning to show signs of shame, the, 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 the real obvious sort of physical manifestations of it in their faces and so forth. So shame is a survival mechanism. It keeps us from terrible consequences, abuse, you know, just think about this, right? Like if you're in an abusive situation, Mm -hmm. right. And you know, you're, you're crying and and dad comes down the stairs and are you crying? I'll give you something to cry about, right? If you can, if you've got a shame response that knows when you're crying, that you're, that brings up shame in you and it inhibits it and shuts it down. It may save you Mm -hmm. from some pretty negative consequences and a really, difficult family environment. Right. So yeah. one of the things that, 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 um, that I think it gets missed is there are some upsides to shame, but it's gotten such a, since, since it's one of those things, that's a little tricky, right? Yeah. It's a lot tricky. You know, it can be, that can be easily lost, but we want to make sure that shame is in its proper place, right? That it's not taking us over. And in so many, so many cases, it's just so overwhelming that I can understand why people would uh, would reject it wholesale. So
0: right? sh- shaming my kids is OK. Well, no, <laughs> I
1: wouldn't say that shaming your kids is OK, because that's the just, this one. This. Right. That's the action. Right. Right. That's right, the gaming. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't uh, shame
0: my kids, let everybody know. I'm, I'm, I'm OK. I'm,
1: I'm just. Joking. But but, you know, for kids Not to have a, a
0: response.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. That can be motivating to to change behavior in a, in a more appropriate way. Uh, yeah, no, work. I
0: think that that definition, Correct. I I agree, and I appreciate the fact that like that you're you're articulating obviously the limitations of of Bernie Brown's work, which obviously she's so popular right now that in, and she's done a lot right. of good. I used her book in in pastoral counseling, and we would talk about the limitations, and and I found that right. I agree, this is one of them that shame is is not what you're speaking about. Is there's an element of shame that isn't in, that's innate that that is it's a it's a response. It's not just all a product of, of sociological forces, which sometimes right. kind of move right. into that direction. But then even John right. Paul II has said a lot, you know, in the theology of the body and in other places, love and responsibility, talking about the importance of shame when it comes to, to sexual sin or modesty in, in, in a recognition that kind of to what you're speaking about, which is a notion that like, it helps govern kind of norms, but what undergirds that is the fact that there's something – when he's talking about sexual shame specifically, that there's something good. It's almost like a question of modesty, you know, that, that right. when you are exposed, you should feel some degree of, 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 of um, a discomfort that's there. Because it's supposed to actually communicate the good and the preservation of the body. Um, and so, so again, n- not just saying that all shame is bad, um, right. but it's, it's an alert to, to something it's right. and it's, and it's a signal. signal to to right. let us know that like hey like there's something worth protecting or there whether that's again JP2 would talking about sexual shame or what we're talking about now in terms of just social engagements that there's something there is something good and something worth protecting when it comes to the environment and learning how to engage socially and knowing what's important and what's not what what rules are 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 there which ones aren't what's covert what's over and it sounds like what you're talking about is that shame at least in a positive sense can be used in that, and should be used in that regard. Um,
1: well, and I, I would take a look at like, what happens when it's missing, right? Mm-hmm. So here's a little quiz, right? Mario, oh, tell geez. me what the one personality disorder is where there is no shame felt.
0: Uh, no shame. I, I'm, I'm a, 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 antisocial?
1: Yep, that's exactly it, right? Mm-hmm. Antisocial or psychopathic, right? right? So if you look at, and think about it, like it's kind of a criticism if you were to say somebody was shameless, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, like that's So, so that's another way to kind of look at the flip side of it is what happens if it was entirely outside of awareness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually something that drives so ma- so much of the psychological tension, uh, so much of the psychological disorder that people have. In fact, I think it's absolutely primary because what it does is it, it undermines our identity as beloved sons and daughters of God, right? That's, and that's right. at the core of so many of our psychological difficulties.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating because I, I never thought about it like that. But you're absolutely right in terms of like antisocial psychopathy, lacking shame. I've always equated that with lacking empathy. But again, it's 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 a connection. It's a similar type of response in terms of like like so, like you know sometimes it's okay to care what other people think. Like that's not in and of itself a bad thing. Like again, these systems like we 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 tend to criticize all this stuff and. And to some degree, yes, we need to because we, we, we're not supposed to, we, we can draw too much attention to it. And I think that's right. what we're, we'll be getting into. But at least at, at a base level, like understanding who I am and how I fit within a system um, and caring about the opinions of those people um, helps me to understand myself.
1: And, that's exactly right. Because we learn it, who we are. We learn who we are through the eyes of others. That's initially. right. Through relationships. you learn who we are through relationships. And shame is a little like arsenic. I think, you know, arsenic actually had a lot of really valuable purposes. In fact, arsenic in small quantities is, is medicinal. Um, you know, it's actually used in different kinds of medicines. Uh, the problem is when you get too much of it, when it's not titrated. Right. And so, so rather than throw it all out in a kind of unnuanced way, I really recommend that we get thoughtful about it. And one of the beautiful things that was not there, you know, when when I entered the field, right when I started graduate school in 1993, we had Judith Herman's trauma and recovery. We had a few things, but we don't have anything like what's available now. Today, we've got so much more. And I want to also mention, I'm not down on Brene Brown. Like I, I know I've been I've been kind of highlighting some of the differences. I think she's done a great job in terms of bringing this to. Uh, to public awareness, you know, but I think one of the special things about your podcast about some of the things we're doing at Souls and Hearts is that we're really working to ground the best of psychology in a Catholic anthropology. That's where, you know, the church has so much to offer us, you know, in terms of understanding these things in uh, in terms of their theological and philosophical, uh, you know, epistemological and metaphysical, uh, you know, that 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 background is there.
0: So. hmm. Amen. OK, well, let's just kind of keep going through the the, the five points there. The, the fourth. Okay, so the fourth is like, one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Shame is a judgment. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a judgment about who we are from the perspective of somebody who criticized us, somebody who rejected us, somebody who um, who thought that we weren't good enough. Right. So we look at ourselves through the eyes of this critical, angry or disappointed other. And again you know parents we 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 do this unfortunately right i mean this isn't something that has to be born from malice right right um you know most of it i think actually isn't i think some of it is that we lapse into you know as parents we lapse into you know these moments where we're not empathetic and kids you know take that in and personalize it so so those are the fourth, and we already talked about the fifth one, which is shame as an as an action, so to kind of recap that, you know shame is not it's a primary emotion, it's a bodily reaction, it's a signal right it has that function of a signal, it's a judgment and it's an action
0: so give me an example of it what what is shame okay. in 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 actuality when would we see it manifest in our lives
1: okay, so let's see um Let's pick something that's not too not too dramatic, like port. You know, sort of a mediocre job review, right? Mm-hmm. You go in meeting with your supervisor for you know your semiannual uh, review. Supervisor points out some things that you could really work on, right? And you notice that you you start like curling up, right? So your body, you know, you notice that your shoulders kind of come forward. Maybe you kind of hunch over a little bit. Um, there's this you know, kind of protection in curling up. That, that you're noticing, that's the bodily reaction, right? Mm-hmm. You've got that, uh, you got that lump or pit in your stomach, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe your hands feel cold, right? That's kind of a, that's those are all kinds of signals that go along with that. You've got that um, sense of uh, of uh, uh, that sort of feeling of darkness, mm. you know, that sort of like sense that I'm not okay, I'm not I'm not living up to the expectations, right? Um, and you notice that you're starting to judge yourself, like you're starting to repeat what Uncle Henry used to tease you about, you know, when he thought you were too short or whatever when you were a kid, not, not enough, you know? And so there's, there's, there's all these things that start to wrap up in that. And there are different mechanisms because what's getting activated is something around your identity, right? That's really what shame focuses on is this question of identity. And I would also argue that, you know, our God concept or our God image, I should say, the, mm-hmm. the the way that we understand God is often a product of who we think we are, right? So our self-image often drives our God image because if we've come to believe at some level within us that some part of us is believing that we're unlovable, that also means that God doesn't love us, right? So one of the things i'm most concerned about in terms of the way that shame undermines and can really harm us in terms of our identity is what it begins to tell us about the nature of god these sort of experiential aspects of 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 religion Hmm. and uh those kinds of things when they get activated can be really harmful to us not you know in the spiritual life it's not just something that sits in the natural realm it's something that takes us into the spiritual realm
0: so this is good. I mean, in terms of us being aware of, and we could talk more about this in a little bit. In terms of what particular triggers that we have, what what are what are the circumstances that tend to activate this shame response? Wonderful example. Right. Obviously, in terms of work, being at a performance review, you can get fifteen things said right about you. It's the two things that are that are negative that you'll end up fixating on and telling your wife about later, and that's the stuff that'll keep you up at night. And there's again, there's a reason for it, you know. And and so trying to understand what what's the under. Like what? What in that review is tapping into that question of identity? And I right. think again, I appreciate your your familiarity with the breadth of the research on this topic. My introduction to really the, what I really know is 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 uh, is Brene Brown's work, and that's a distinction that she makes in terms of like what's the difference between shame and guilt, or even embarrassment. Right. You know, she'll talk right. about embarrassment being kind of like a. It's almost at a, at a joke. You know, it's like you, you walk into the room and you have your, 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 uh, the toilet paper still stuck to you know, the bottom of your shoe. Like, if you could take a good joke, you might be a little embarrassed, but it may not necessarily activate all these questions of shame. But she says that the main distinction between shame and guilt is that guilt, again, to her credit, guilt's appropriate and actually is needed because right. guilt would be, is, is attached to behavior. We should feel guilty when we've done something wrong. And and that is indicative of of what her research shows is that when we feel guilty, and when we have healthy uh, lovableness and healthy sense of self, guilt actually does its job, which is then it helps us to improve our behaviors and to work right. better, um, you know, the next time. But when we have shame in, in embedded within us and that unlovableness or that that negativity that you spoke about that of identity. Guilt works against us because guilt then just reinforces the shame and it re- reconfirms whatever notions that we have about ourselves. And so the, the the going back to that question of of what is shame or how do we make these distinctions, like is there anything more that you would want to offer in terms of like the differences between uh, shame and versus guilt?
1: Sure. So I would say that there are three primary classes of guilt. Okay. Right? So I think I love definitions because. You know, it's really important to know, like, conceptually, what we're talking about. So, guilt, and uh, you know, most people can understand guilt as a legal state. All right, so you know, you committed the murder, right? You get you get you get tried, you get convicted, right? Legally, you're guilty, right? Or you can plead guilty, right, to a particular crime or or, or not, right? So there's a legal state. There's a moral state as well, right? There's a moral state of guilt if you commit a sin right you're guilty of that sin and that exists in the objective moral realm right it's not something about your internal experience blah 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 so i want to just mention those two right because Mm -hmm. the third one is the one that people can get confused with shame guilt is also a self-conscious moral emotion all right so Uh, The way that the American Psychological Association defines it is that guilt is a self-conscious emotion characterized by a painful appraisal of having done or thought something that is wrong, and often by a readiness to take action designed to undo or mitigate this wrong, Mm -hmm. right? The distinction from shame is that shame is about I am wrong. Mm -hmm. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. You Mm -hmm. know, guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad, right? So there's this global holistic uh, self appraisal in shame when it, when we're looking at that as the judgment, right? That fourth element of shame being a judgment, Mm -hmm. whereas for guilt, it is more about my behavior, right? So, so that's the major difference there. Um, Shame also takes into more of an account other people's perceptions of us, right? In other words, um you know uh, people can do something feel no guilt about it but feel a lot of shame about it because it was disapproved of by some important other right whereas people could feel guilty about doing something but feel no shame about it because they're really caught up in the objective sort of sense of right and wrong about the action not really caring much about others opinions about whether it was right or wrong or whether it was appealing or unappealing to them <laughs>
0: So guilt, then you spoke about these three kind of definitions of guilt in terms of legal, moral, but then a subjective element of it. And I think like if you're guilty, you're guilty of the crime. That's what it is. You know, whether you feel guilty or not, doesn't matter. Legally, you're guilty. if tried in a court of law. That's it. Similar kind of with the question of morality. But the the internal piece, that that last one you spoke about, again, that's the one that tends to – in counseling, at least, I see that often. You know, people feeling guilty about – well, I mean, like with with that episode I did with with Jerry, you know, um, on boundaries, just how people feel guilty even setting boundaries or saying uh, standing yeah. up for themselves. I mean, sometimes like it 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 can just be this this all encompassing, you know, because it's because I believe it's connected to the deeper sense of shame that we've been speaking about.
1: Right. So if I set a limit, or let's say my mother wants to wants me to use all of my vacation time. As an adult, to come and visit her, right? Instead of taking uh, taking a trip with my family or something like that. That's not this what is my hypothetical.
0: My, that's not this is, I mean, the, the, hypothetical, the, right? totally hypothetical. You know, right. In fact, yeah, my mom's not like that. <laughs> it, yeah.
1: But, um, but yeah, like, like if 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 you could feel this intense sense of guilt, right? Because there's something inside you saying that this is wrong. But why is it wrong? It's wrong because mom doesn't like it right? And because mom doesn't like it and I need mom, right? And that, you know, there's going to be consequences about who I am as a person, you know, if I, if that relationship becomes threatened, right, then it's, then it's moving into shame, Mm -hmm. right? So sometimes, like, if you're looking at um, this kind of, you know, kind of uh, guilt where there's no moral, uh, you know, no moral problem, but there's not an objective state of moral guilt, but there's still the feelings of being guilty, a lot of times that's really a signal, right? That's that, mm-hmm. that's that third definition of shame, right? That's a signal that I'm about to do something that important, an important other person is going to disapprove of, and that's going to threaten my relationship and that's going to lead me to be vulnerable to, to, to being lost, you know, to losing that relationship. So, you know, that's where guilt, that's where guilt is, can be driven by shame. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. That's a great... um, and that's, that's what you see a lot of in um, in, uh, in obsessive compulsive disorder or, mm-hmm. scrupulosity. or scrupulosity. You know, it's all, all framed in terms, of, in terms of guilt, right? It all looks like it's about a moral act or, an, or actually an act that might not be moral. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, I, you know, I had a client, for example, that thought he was really offending God if he went into a particular uh, music store right like Mm -hmm. there's no moral quality about going to that music store or not Mm -hmm. but when you unpack all of that you get back to shame right you get actually back to shame because shame is about the identity not just about the things that i did or didn't do it's not just about my you know omissions or commissions it's about who i am and that's much more central
0: Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Dr. Mario just taking a quick break from my interview here with Dr. Peter Malinowski. And, and I just want to say, if you enjoyed this episode and have enjoyed the Always So podcast and the themes that I discuss and cover in the manner in which we talk about these things, then I want to invite you to come find me on Facebook or on our Instagram. And you're going to love the work that we're doing there. Every week, I try to offer some type of encouragement about cultural happenings and current events. Um, as well as just trying to bring deeper, go deeper, I should say, into the conversations that we talk about in these episodes. So check me out on Facebook, on Instagram. If you're looking for more great content to help you in your spiritual and and emotional well-being, then find me at Dr. Mario Sacasa. Amen. So going back then to the, the, the connection between Identity and my own personal identity, and then my relationship with God, and if right. I'm carrying that shame, because because of, we've been talking, about shame is primarily re, re, it's a it's a relationship response or a threat against a relationship. Right. Um, that's right. what's activating the threat of losing a particular relationship, a valuable relationship. And and so if if my relationship with God is caught up in this these notions of shame, I mean, just tell me more about that. What is what what does that mean? What are the implications So of I
1: think there are, ultimately there are three things that drive all psychopathology, right? All all psychological distress that we have. Well, not all psychological distress. I, I misspeak. Uh, all psychological uh, disorder. Mm-hmm. Okay, You can have psychological distress without having psychological disorder. Correct. You know, for example, our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane experiencing psychological distress. He was anxious, you know? Um, and so, but all psychological disorder. And that is... Our appraisals of who we are, right? Our understanding of who we are, our identity, mm-hmm. our, our our understanding of who God is, and the third thing is the relationship between us and God. Mm-hmm. Our understanding of that, our appraisal of that, right? So somebody who's overwhelmed with shame believes that he's bad, believes that he's unlovable, is going to see God as not loving him right, is going to respond to God as though God is not loving him, right? And so these things can become really involved. I actually believe that there are parts of us that hold very different religions, right? I think we have as many religions as we have parts within us that carry out various roles. And so one of the things that we need to do is actually work towards this interior integration, and that is so that these parts of us, which are roughly uh, comparable to St. Thomas Aquinas' idea of the passions, hmm. can come under the governance of the core of ourselves, right? So so I think these parts carry, they disconnect, and they, they carry different burdens. And one of the burdens that they can carry is this real sense of shame. And then they become exiled within us. Right? I'm an internal family systems therapist, so this is a lot of the language that I, that I think about, that I use with clients these, these parts of us that carry shame get disconnected because if they, were, if they were allowed to come in, they might overwhelm us with that shame and we wouldn't be able to function, right? So we have, this, we have these um, distorted images of God that are driven by our experiences that we generalize to God and that are also driven by how we construe those experiences, right? So a person that um, experiences shame because there was significant neglect Emotional neglect in the house, right? Mom and dad didn't love me. That gets translated into I am unlovable, Mm -hmm. right? Gets translated into no one can love me, which gets translated into assumptions like God doesn't love me. Mm -hmm. And this stuff is often too threatening to be allowed in conscious awareness, especially by good Catholic men and women, Mm -hmm. right, who have other, you know, who get really, like, sometimes get very uh, uptight when those kind of thoughts come up. Right? And so it, it, um, it, it gets buried, it gets repressed, it gets denied, and, but it still has a powerful, powerful impact on us, which leads to why we can switch in these different modes of operating, which is why St. Paul can question in Rome, set, Romans 7.15, why is it that I do that which I don't want to do, right? Why do I do the evil that I abhor? So I think it goes a long way to helping explain, and I think a lot of that is about defending against shame. It's about, it's about defending against shame.
0: Yeah. So let me kind of recap all this, just make sure I'm kind of hearing this right. You know, the notions that <clears throat> if we're looking at, again, great distinction, you know, psychological duress isn't, this doesn't necessarily mean psychological disorder. You know, I'm, I'm overcoming right. a six week kind of seven week bout with, with COVID and the post COVID syndrome. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 high anxiety and moments throughout the whole thing, you know, and some of it's just a weakening of of my capacity to to manage, you know, so nothing inherently sinful. Just, but the experience is certainly there. So great that we make obviously those distinctions. And there's
1: also there's also a distinction that's really important between something that's disordered and something that's sinful. Correct. So correct. You know, so we also want to make sure that you know, right. like something right. can be disordered. Like if you were born without arms, right, like a thalidomide baby or something like that that's disordered, but it's not simple. And that could be psychological disorder that actually doesn't carry any kind of moral uh, weight to it. Right. You know, you know, so I also want to say that because a lot of times that distinction is not made Mm -hmm. very clearly, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for for sharing that. And and I've seen that, you know, sometimes like in with respect, sometimes in the charismatic circles, you know, that, that sometimes when we do all the inner healing stuff and we, may, right. we we forget that some some of these distinctions are there that like if somebody's struggling with anxiety that's not a moral issue like it's just they're struggling <laughs> with like if someone's struggling with sex addiction now we're speaking of something that is you know because now we're we're talking about offense towards your partner or offense towards God and and so there there are there there are distinctions that, that 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 need to be made um so agreed but but bring this back then to like when we talk about the the concept of shame that you said it, it's it's you know it's ideas of myself ideas of God and then the ideas in terms of this relationship you know that that seem to really kind of play at many of these psychological distresses and not distress disorders you know that we experience right. so if shame if 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 I've been taught that I am unlovable um, then it's hard to be able to see God as somebody who could in turn love me and this is then the, the gift of our faith and having an objective, Something outside of ourselves that we can study, that we can understand, that we can that we can come to believe about divine revelation, about Christ's salvific act, and it's all centered on on Him loving us and wanting to come to save us, and then allowing then in the work of of counseling or even in spiritual the spiritual directions into life is to be able to learn what it means to receive that and to receive those graces, um, and in the end. Obviously, that would be what 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 heals uh, the negative aspect of shame that, that we've been speaking about. Is that
1: I would, I would say that it, it that what heals the negative aspect of shame. And I really want to highlight this is was in what you said, but I really want to highlight it is that it's always experiential. Yes. Right. You, you can't be something that you just know at an intellectual level. Correct. It's got to be something that, you know, at a relational level that you have those corrective relational experiences or those corrective emotional experiences. And so in order for that to be healed, we actually have to come into contact Mm. with love, right? And that can be love through, um, you know, through another person. It can be us loving ourselves ultimately yet all love comes from God, right? So the only thing that heals shame is love. Brene Brown makes a big deal out of vulnerability. That's not enough. I, well, she I don't says buy empathy. That.
0: She she would equate empathy, I think, to this. You know that if we're if yeah, you're right. It can't. We can't just be vulnerable, because right. I've seen too many times in in marriage counseling. You know when 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 one is vulnerable, the risk is always that the other then can can pounce, and that's you're the right. worst. That's the worst. <laughs> when, you, when you see that in marriage counseling, when somebody finally gets vulnerable, mm-hmm. and the other has just been been waiting for this moment you know to, just yeah. to freaking give it to him and uh and 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 she does and uh it just it's that's that's the worst feeling as a therapist because you feel like you just set the guy up um right but but, but anyways the, so yes vulnerability in and of itself you're right is, is is a limitation it's vulnerability which is then met with empathy it's vulnerability which is met with compassion vulnerability which is met with with love and understanding and to say that that you know, even as you experience this shame, um, you know, you you, you can be loved. So let's bring this back to the example that we talked about earlier. You, You have a, you got your performance review at work. And if you, this is why it's important to have people who you really trust and can be this open with. Because if you do have, let's say if you're married and you have your spouse and you're able to get to this point, then you can, or if not, then if you're single, then at least having some friendships or family members who you feel that you can actually get to a point where you can, you can process this so you could say man i had this report i had this performance review today my boss said mostly nice things but really there's just a few things that were brought up that that really just triggered the snot out of me and i just need just need to get together with somebody just to exhale that i need you know and so then what you would want your friends or your spouse or your loved ones to respond to is to say yeah man like it's okay like uh like it's okay you know, like, despite whatever was said in your performance review, um, like, it, it, it's okay. Like, you're so loved. Um, we're we're, we're going to get through this. It's, it's, it's going to be all right. Like, that, that would be the process upon which to be aware of it and then what to do with it and how to hopefully have a good system of support that can meet you in, 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 in that state of shame. Right.
1: We need to, we need, we need to get to the root of it. Right. So, you know, what sometimes people do is they'll switch jobs. Right. You know, I never want to deal with that supervisor again, you know, external, external focus. Like if you actually had a deep sense that was integrated throughout your entire being right consistently, that you were a beloved and cherished child of God, How would that be different for us if we were in that job interview like this would be like water off a duck's back you Mm -hmm. know okay we don't turn in our progress our progress notes on time or you know we're a little behind on you know on this or that and we've been tardy to some meetings and you know blah 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 none of that would matter Mm -hmm. right the only reason that stuff matters is because it triggers something that's latent within us Mm -hmm. and the goal of this is to not calm down it's not to it's not to um, make sure that we never have anybody that triggers us, right? That that would, you know, I use an example of an immune system, right? right. Like right. back in the mid-70s, you know, there's this movie came out, John Travolta, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, where the boy had, had, a, had an immune system that was so compromised he had to live in this plastic bubble mm-hmm. in his house. And we could set that up where, you know, we set it up so that no, no criticism, no, no, no little, you know, uh, you know, criticism or, or, or negative comment comes to us. But really what's better is to have a really strong immune system. Right. So that so that we know that even if we're being mistreated, like our Lord was, like the, the apostles were, that even we're being cut down, that that stuff doesn't rock us. That it doesn't take us to our core because we know who we are in the eyes of God, right? And that's the only one whose opinion really matters.
0: Yeah. And, and that that isn't just, as you said earlier, isn't just a theoretical abstraction. Right. Like the, the work for all of us is, I mean, and nobody, nobody is, is um, uh, exempt from this, is to understand like how, does, like how does God, like how does God actually love me? right I mean like that's like at the end of that's like the question you know that we all have to kind of wrestle with is despite my sinfulness despite my imperfections despite my 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 limitations like god God loves me and 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 how do i how do i how do I believe that how do I experience that um because you're right then then you can start being a little bit more forgiving and patient and 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 putting the priorities in where where they need to be. Which is to say then that like, yeah, do you want to perform your duties well? Of course you do. You know, do you right. want to get your progress notes in and be on time as me? Of course. Absolutely. But right. like, you're not going to be perfect at it. And if you're not perfect at it, is it, is it okay? Like, can you still right. live and function and, and not let all these little things trigger and, and provoke this this shame? Um, and the way, again, the, the way that this is done is is one, good community um, but then, too, as we're articulating, you know, really having a firm understanding of a firm relationship with the Lord. And, and that means you have to have your prayer life together. You, you yeah. got to know what it means to be in prayer and to to really be able to receive this and to to then do the work of discernment. And, and, and I've had Father Gallagher on the show before to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, kind of rejecting and, and accepting and, and doing this. Like this is where a lot of this stuff kind of comes together
1: yeah and the the prayer as relationship right Mm -hmm. there's lots of ways of praying and some of it can be very non-relational like you can do what my pastor calls the machine gun rosary you know where (laughs) there's not a lot of engagement there's not a lot of relational you know um you know and so it's about entering into that intimacy and god doesn't you know god loves us because of who he is it's not because we merit it right it's not because we can earn it there's a lot of pelagianism (laughs) in our bones right pelagianism is the is the heresy by which we can by our own efforts become worthy of the love of god right Mm -hmm. and that's that's often a fantasy that drives us right that's why we we do so well at work and why a progress note is never late right if we're doing it because we're trying to become worthy of the love of god we're going to be like a hamster on a wheel we're never going to be able to make that right because our fallen human condition. So so it's it's actually and that's why we needed divine revelation, Mario. It's because this is not obvious to us. We would not have come to this by the unaided light of human reason. But right? we're not going to get there because, you know, we've figured it out. It's it's something that God needed to tell us to show us. And so, but you know what? That's so hard for people to grip onto. When they're struggling with shame and the difficulty with shame is that we have to confront the very thing we fear right if we're going to enter into god this is where faith comes in we've got to believe what we know to be true by faith in the intellect right not what we know to be true experientially because what our bones can be telling us is that it's not safe it's not safe to be in a relationship with god Mm -hmm. right even if we believe that you know in our intellect That doesn't mean that that translates into what we know experientially. And I think that's the great challenge at a natural level that we need to face in order to have a solid, natural foundation for the spiritual life. Because grace perfects nature. Yeah, So these psychological issues
0: have a huge impact on the spiritual life. That's right. Yeah, I, I believe that whole wholeheartedly. So just, you know, as we're last 15 minutes here or so, 10 or 15 minutes of of this conversation which I've been thoroughly enjoying. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, it how how can we as parents, if many of my listeners are young parents, you know, and we 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 fret about wanting to do what's right for our kids. You know, you talked about the the plastic bubble earlier. I think sometimes we think, well, we know in our society that's the direction that we've gone in, which is that we just have to be We've gone from the phrase that I used to hear was helicopter parents, and now the phrase that's being used is bulldozing parents. You've heard this expression, I mean, and so what this, what this is, <laughs> is that instead of just <laughs> helicoptering over your kids, you actually bulldoze every obstacle along the way. <laughs> so you tear you tear every every obstacle down in front of them to create as smooth of a path, you know that that comes. And so this okay. is where the books like the the Coddling of the American Mind, if if you've read that, um, which is an excellent read. Um, you know, it's trying to attack this notion that we can't have safe spaces for everything. We can't have um, trigger warnings for everything. We can't have sensitivity labels for everything. Like like we have to, to some degree, recognize that that there are offensive things that happen in the world and there are things that are going to trigger us and, and we can't. We don't live in a utopia. We don't live in a situation where we're going to be in a plastic bubble. We need to be able to develop some of these immunities, social immunities, as uh, to use that that word, um, on our own. And and the way that we do that, and I think this is a thing for parents is by the way that we do it is that we actually have to let our kids fail sometimes, and we have oh, to yeah. let our kids struggle, um, and we have to let oh, our yeah. kids kind of process and internalize that. So if they f- don't make the basketball team that they're trying out for, um, it's okay. That's a that's an opportunity for them to grow in resiliency. If you catch your kids looking at something inappropriate online, yeah, you put the filters, but you don't shame them in that. You have to kind of continue to teach them to say, okay, well, what was going on in that moment? What happened? And and how do you learn from that so that you can be better equipped to say no next time? And And we have to allow and recognize that as best as we are as parents, we're not going to get it all right and and so even yep. if I if I lose my temper with my kids, do can I be vulnerable enough to come to them and apologize afterwards and at least model that? I mean, this is this is I guess the type of gentleness that we want to like I want to encourage the listeners and, and and my parents to to engage in is to recognize that like you ain't going to be perfect and you're not going to have it all all figured out and and it's okay to let your kids struggle. And and um and try to understand and to learn because they need to develop some some resiliency.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all of that. I think the best thing in a natural realm, right? So we're just talking the natural realm here. Right. We're not talking about the right. spiritual realm, we're talking the natural realm. The best thing in the natural realm that parents can give their children is to be well ordered. All right. So what I mean by that is this integration, right? Because anything that we don't tolerate. Within ourselves, we won't tolerate in other people, mm-hmm. and so so for example, one of the reasons why we get angry with our kids is because they raise something in us that can bring us shame, right? And anger is one of those emotions that, for men especially, can um, can suppress shame, right? So so you know if um, if uh, if um, uh, a child says to his dad when he's two a two-year-old three-year-old says daddy you're a terrible daddy you know because he's mad at dad right you're a terrible daddy and you know i hate you and i'm never going to talk to you again right Mm -hmm. let's say that that the dad has some real issues with shame right this would be a more extreme case but like and gets into you don't talk to me that way this is not your first invoking the fourth commandment and all this you know really it's not about correcting the child Mm it's about warding off the shame, right? Because maybe that dad has a deep sense of not being a good dad, right? Maybe it's just like, I'm failing at being a dad because my kid is angry at me or whatever, hasn't really worked, learned through anger. You can learn like, you know, the top 10 tricks of discipline. I'm just thinking about all these things I see in the parenting magazines, you know, at the checkout aisle at the grocery store. You can learn those sorts of things and maybe you could learn how to act like a good dad I think what far is, what's a, fed, a far better thing is to, is to put that energy into actually healing what needs to be healed in you, right? Because we're learning that a lot of this stuff is generational. You can actually trace it back through the, through the generations of a family. And so, mm-hmm. so for parents to actually invest in their human formation, mm-hmm. that's really, really important. A lot of Catholics don't think about their human formation. They think about their spiritual formation and they may put a lot of effort into, into prayer and the sacraments and spiritual direction and all that. That's great. I really recommend that. But if the natural foundation isn't solid and a lot of times it's not whatever spiritual edifice you build on that is going to be unstable, right? Because grace perfects nature. Grace has to have something relatively ordered to perfect. Mm-hmm. or there's going to be this ripple effect. So a lot of the spiritual problems that people have, like if you actually look at what's under underlying them, there's something that's, you know, in the natural foundation that's disordered. So so I really encourage people to think about their human formation, natural level formation, not just the spiritual formation, because the yeah. two of them go in
0: hand. Amen. You know, and, and with that example, again, you know, if if your kid yells at you like that, r- r- I mean, you still need to discipline. I mean, you know, I think this is what sometimes people – when I give these lectures, they'll say, "Well, right. well, what are you supposed to do? I mean, how do you respond to it? Well, I mean, you still want to discipline. You're still going to discipline him, but like it, it becomes about disciplining, and about right. again reestablishing what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, and trying to set the bounds of of the relationship that you want to have with your son. It's about his betterment. It's about his betterment. Right. It's about discipling him because you don't want him to think that he can yell at every adult. That's but." It's not about your shame. See, there's that's right. the difference. Like when you right. – and I, I I really came to understand that with my – my second son was two. I mean, he – headstrong, beautiful little boy. But, man, I used to lose my mind, you know, over the <laughs> dumbest things that he would do. I mean, he would just throw the diaper at you or whatever. I mean, all this stuff. And I was like – at some point, I realized like – like I one I, one point I got so emotional and like so angry. Like, and I was like, he's two. Like, you know, he's not – he's fundamentally incapable of understanding what it is that he's, he's not being manipulative. He's not Mm -hmm. a sociopath in training. I mean, like he, he's, but all the things, all the narratives that we, and it's like, the problem isn't him. Like the problem is me. Like I have to, Figure out why this is triggering me so much, and what it is that I need to do to be a better parent here. Because he is completely incapable of knowing what he's doing right now. He's not twenty-one. He's not twenty-two. He's not being deliberate. He's not being intentional. He's just reacting. That's all he's doing. And he's not even close to the age of reason. Exactly. He's he's nowhere close to the age of reason. He's not even eight. Exactly. (laughs) That's six or seven. Like he's just two, (laughs) just being a toddler. And so, like all that threat response that I would feel in this, the like, I realized within myself. I mean, this is around the time that I've started discovering Brene Brown, Brene Brown's right. work, and, and right. other. I mean, so it just for me, it's it's been a, a game changer, you know, in the way that I've been able right. to interact with him, the freedoms you give them, the discipline what discipline looks like, and then and then from there, you know, kind of the other two boys, we have four sons, and, and being able to to help them as well. So yeah, so I encourage our listeners, you know, if it do your work, please. Uh, you know, yeah. work work on your emotional life and, and, and attend to the issues that you're dealing with. So, Peter, if, if people have been enjoying this conversation and they want to get more information that you have to offer about shame and and, and others, uh, w- where would you recommend them to go?
1: So, um, you know, at the risk of like sounding my own my own horn here, right. I, I set it I up for you. I I, I I I gave
0: you your own yeah. horn. I I rolled it out for all you. Right. I gave it. I gave it all to right.
1: you. Yeah. No. I have. I so I have a podcast that is called um, interior, interior integration for Catholics. And it used to be called coronavirus crisis carpe Diem, Cause when we started out, it was about helping people get through mm-hmm. the coronavirus crisis, but that's gone on so long, you know, that I've made it a little more general. Yeah. Um, but episodes, episodes 37 to 49 are, are our 12. That's a 12 hour course on shame where we go into a ton of detail
0: awesome.
1: about shame. And it also brings in trauma and so forth. So that, that, I really wanted to get into I spent a lot of hours researching and pulling things together. Those episodes are each, you know, between forty and seventy minutes long. Uh and there's a lot of examples and so forth. So it's been a really popular series. Uh, you can go to soulsandhearts.com and you can find it there. It's also called Interior Integration for Catholics. It's on all the major podcast um the platforms and so forth. So that's where I would start. The other thing is, is that we have a community that's grown up around that podcast called the Resilient Catholics Community. And it's really focused on this human formation, this transformation, uh, using the best of psychology grounded in a Catholic anthropology, Catholic worldview, doesn't use therapy. It's like an adjunct to therapy, but it's for people that really want to work through these things. Mm-hmm. That, that community is closed right now to new members, but we're going to be reopening, reopening it in the spring. You can get on the waiting list if you want. Um, and, uh, and so it's an opportunity for folks that really re- resonate with this kind of conversation to get into and uh, to have that support, because that's the thing is that we don't want to do it alone. We don't want to try to do it alone. So, the single most common mistake That people make and trying to overcome their their shame is to try to work through it by themselves and it's natural because shame wants us to hide it leads Mm -hmm. us to try to hide if you look look at the first first instance of shame in the gospel or in the in the scripture it's in genesis 3 right adam and eve eat the the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil and what do they what's the first thing they do they hide they hide because shame leads us to want to hide it's self-protective right or it's at least perceived to be self-protective so so we want to bring this into the light. And Brene Brown is tremendous at that, of shining a light on these things. I uh, respect her work on that a lot. Um, and we've got, you know, what we've got is uh, a ways to connect this with uh, the richness of the, of our of our Catholic faith and tradition. So, you know, we've got that that dual approach, which I think is just so helpful to so many Catholics.
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. We'll, we'll have a link to all of that in the show notes uh, for people to be able to access it. So, wonderful. Okay, well, as we come to the end, uh, final question to ask all my first-time guests, Peter, what gives you hope?
1: What gives me hope? Oh, man, what gives me hope is my my favorite uh my favorite verse um in scripture, right? All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Romans 8:28 all things, including our traumas, including even our shame. That's not to say that shame, you know, that this, this sort of shaming is a good thing in itself. No, but God can make good come from all of our experiences. So, so that is the most hopeful uh, statement in all of scripture. And I'll tell you, that's the thing that really discriminates between my clients who get better and those that don't Right? It is th- who, who can really try to look at whatever happens to us as a gift. It's a hard, hard thing, but man, if you get there, it could provide so much hope because then nothing can stop you.
0: Amen. So, amen. Because then you see everything through the lens of providence and recognition that that God, even though He allows these hardships, like He's guiding us, and and it's not that He desires it, but as you said so beautifully, and Saint Paul communicates, is that God can use everything. I mean, like that's. That's the that's the greatest gift is that he can he could take any lemon and, and make the sweetest lemonade. I mean, like any any experience as difficult as it is in our life, and we have difficulties, and many of which you know we we, we cover in the show. But but that's it. I mean, that there is always hope, and that's 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 yep. the theme. You know. So all right, Peter, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. God bless you, man, and all the good work you're doing. And uh, uh, I'm not going to say go Packers because the Saints <laughs> lost.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't expect that.
0: But uh, but I guess I'm not rooting for Tom Brady either. So whatever happens, uh, yeah, go go Super Bowl. So God bless you. It be is, good.
1: It, it's great to be here with you, Mario. Thanks a lot for this uh, for this uh, for this opportunity. I really enjoy you know bantering back and forth and so forth. So um, so I uh, really appreciate it. hope I can be back sometime.
0: You got it. So. We'll have you back on the show. So. All right. Amen. You're good. God bless. All right, so now that the episode is done, here, here's the irony of the whole thing. I used a new recording software uh, to record this episode, and I didn't do my job beforehand. And so that means I didn't like test it out appropriately to figure the ins and outs of it and how it actually worked. And so when I got the audio back after doing this episode, it came back less than what I would have wanted. So as I was listening to the op- the episode and trying to do the edits, my shame was like, I mean, it was, it was being activated because for me, one of my triggers is most certainly my perfectionism. Um, so, it, you know, I say that because here I am. I, I mean, I couldn't, the humor of it didn't escape me that I'm feeling shame as I'm editing an episode about shame. So, you know, God and his humor uh, does all things and uses all things. And I think that's the point, just like Peter said at, at the very end of the episode is, listen, whatever's going on in her life, God can use it. And even those sensitive parts, even those parts that get triggered and get shamed, that there's something that's there that if we pay attention to it, we can reveal some place inside of us that needs to grow. And so for me, that means that I let go of my perfectionism and let go of the fact that not everything's going to be perfect all the time. And you know what? That's okay. And as I've gotten older, I really have ascribed to this mantra that I know is out there, which is don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. And so that's it. So. I end this episode with peace and uh, and I release this and, and give it to you. And I hope that you have enjoyed it. And if you have, please pass it along to your friends. Um, please leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. Those really do help other people to, to find out about the show. It helps the little algorithms kind of work. Um, so but thank you guys for joining me today and have a blessed day. Amen. Amen.